Good morning. If you lived in the first century, you'd remember the first time you saw someone crucified. It would have been burned upon your consciousness, a nightmare you'd never fully wake up from. Crucifixion was a wretched death, fearful, shameful death. At the time, contemporary writers uh, condemned it as a form of execution that was excessively cruel and disgraceful. It was instituted by Rome primarily for offenses against the state, for crimes that threatened national security. This explains why the cross was always set up in an open place. Punishment by crucifixion maintained existing authority. And so when you killed somebody by crucifixion, it was more of a deterrent than a means of retribution. It was a way to crush with blunt cruelty any resistance to authority. Individuals seeing this spectacle shivered and vowed that they would never do anything to put themselves in the place where something like that would happen to them. According to Roman practice, the procedure was as follows. It began with a legal conviction, and if the execution took place somewhere other than the spot where the execution was handed down, um, usually outside of town, the victim was forced to carry the cross piece to that place, Having arrived at the place, the victim was, was stripped and scourged. The outstretched arms were nailed or tied to the crossbeam, which was hoisted and affixed to the stake that was usually in the ground already. Um, death came slowly after extraordinary agony, probably through exhaustion or suffocation. Outside of the gospel writers who talk about it, Paul is the first of New Testament writers to focus on the cross significantly. He gives no grisly details about the events. Steers away from it, in fact, as an image of horror. Doesn't see it that way at all. Transforms it. Over the next three times together, we're going to look carefully at the cross and to see what Paul says about it in Colossians 2.13 through chapter 3, verse 4. The cross is naturally because of the images associated with it, if you've seen movies, etc. It's associated with fear, obligation, and guilt. We see Jesus on it, and it strikes us as fearful. Gives us a sense of not good or bad, but obligation. I need to give back, and a sense of guilt. I drove him there. It's interesting. We'll learn why Paul, for Paul, it was transformed from an object of horror to an object of wonder. That's what he says. And you who were dead 
in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Before we can understand what happened at the cross, we need to understand the state of mankind that caused its necessity. We, we need to understand our spiritual condition. And here's what it says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So the condition mankind is in as the cross comes to um, be exercised, to be placed, is dead in trespasses and sins. Again, what we need to see, and I'll say it a number of different ways, this is not a pending decision. Mankind might be dead in trespasses and sins, is in danger of being dead in trespasses and sins. It's already a fait accompli, finished, done. Man dead in trespasses and sins. The cross then, when we understand it, it has to undo death because that's the problem. If you don't understand the problem, you can't understand the solution. The problem the cross has to solve is spiritual death, not impending, already levied. A mankind is dead in sin, Gentiles and Jews, a global spiritual pandemic. Man is not broken or bandaged, but deceased. He's not in the hospital spiritually, but in the morgue. See, and so what it would indicate then for us, and we'll think about this a little bit, our problem then spiritually isn't that death is ahead of us. It's too late for that. It's too late for that. Death is behind us. We're dead in trespasses and sins. The problem isn't that death is in our future. Our problem is that death is in our past. A fait accompli. Done. Our fate is sealed. The indictments have been handed down. The bad news has been delivered. The authorities hasn't been the authorities have been notified. The cross isn't a transaction. It's not a transaction. It's not a deal. It's too late to do business with a dead person. You've heard the story. Joke. An elderly man returned from the doctors only to find that he didn't have long to live. So he summons the three most important people in his life. Some of you probably heard this one. Doctor, his minister, and his lawyer says, well, today I gathered you. I found out that I don't have long to live. So I've asked you three here because you're the most important people in my life. I need to ask a favor. Today I'm going to give each of you $50,000, and I want you to put it into my casket after my passing. A few days later, the man passed on. And they got together. The doctor said, I have to admit that I kept $10,000 of his money. 
He owed me lots of medical bills, but I, I threw the other 35000 in. Minister said, yeah, I have to admit also I kept the 25000 for the church. It's all going to a good cause, and I threw the rest in. The lawyer just couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe what he was hearing. He said, I'm surprised at you too. I wrote a check for the whole amount and threw it in. Like I said, too late to do business with a dead person. But as it regards, as it relates to us, barring a miraculous intervention, physical death will reveal that spiritual death has already occurred. That's what waits mankind on a physical level. We die physically and learn on the other side if spiritual death had already been handed down or not. We only have one option then, to be raised from the dead spiritually. To be raised from the dead spiritually. And this is the significance of the cross. God raised the dead. It says, uh, and you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him. Um, the cross is not, is not, this is how God hates sin. This is not the cross. The cross is, this is what God does for dead people. That's what the cross is. This is what God does for people who are spiritually dead. He sends his son, and his son goes on the cross. In raising the dead, God has to deal with the legal and spiritual causes responsible for the death of mankind to begin with. He can't just raise without dealing for the things that caused the death in the first place. And so God has to deal with that. He has to take care of both the cause and the effect, and we find two kinds of causes. We find legal causes. It says he cancels, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There are legal obstacles to deal with, and what it's describing here is a handwritten list of infractions in the person's handwriting. So it is something that is found with each dead person. Mankind, everyone has one. And you might think of it as a book. In the person's own handwriting, the identification of infractions and infractions against the Ten Commandments specifically. The Law of Moses. Entry. 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 A legacy. A log of why the death existed to begin with. It says you keep the commandments, you live. You don't keep the commandments, you die. Mankind cannot keep the commandments. God doesn't just fluff that off. There's a book. And what is being described here is that there are entries. And um, what is needs to happen then, something needs to happen to this book. And that's exactly what it says. God erases the entry. Cancel the record of debt to cancel is, you might think of it in 
if there was water-soluble ink on a book. I write journals, and I have water-soluble ink, and when water gets on the pages, it all runs off, and there are some pages. In my journal, if you look at it, you can't see the words. It's all run down. I got water on it. And that's what these books look like. Your book. Pages. <coughs> you lied. You took his name in vain. You committed adultery. You covered it. Indication, 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 instance, 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 and the cumulative effect of these books that we all have dead in trespasses and sins. And we look at these books, though, and what it indicates, what God did, he erased the entries, water that blotted off, blotted, gone. You try to read them. You can't. That's what it indicates. God nails, he doesn't just erase it, and he nails this indictment, this book of ours to the cross. Pages, can't see them. There are legal obstacles to deal with, and he took care of the legal obstacle, the reason for the death in the first place. There's not just legal obstacles. There are spiritual beings to deal with. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Rulers and authorities are spiritual beings. Um, there's different kinds of beings. You and I, we are immortal spirits housed in mortal bodies, men and women. That's the form Jesus exists in. He's one of us. But then there are angels. Angels are unembodied spirit beings. We are embodied spirit beings, right? Angels are unembodied spiritual beings. And they were put in positions of authority, especially with respect to the Old Covenant. So when it talks about rules and authorities, it's talking about angels, not evil. It, it's just talking about angels, that level of authority. And so what it did, uh, they are charged, angels are, with administering Old Covenant law. They are responsible to hold commandment violators responsible. And that's their role. Anybody who has a book, their role is to make sure that the indictment comes down upon the one who did the things written in their book. Those who have records of debt are their responsibilities. Um, these unembodied spirit beings, by the way, are not merciful. They're not supposed to be. Here's what, here's what Moses told the Israelites. Behold, I'm sending an angel before you, speaking on God's behalf, to guide you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. And he says, with respect to these rulers and authorities, pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. The one thing that these rulers and authorities cannot do is forgive someone who has sinned. They can't do it. It's not in their authority to do it. Angels are in charge of those under the jurisdiction of Old Covenant law. That's their place of authority.
authority. Anyone under the jurisdiction of old covenant law is under the tutelage, is under the, the administration of angels. That's not a good thing, by the way. To be under the authority of an angel because they can't forgive. They can't. There's a story Jesus tells. Kingdom of heaven, let me just read it to you. May be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the when then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, do you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He went on to tell another story. And later on they get back to him. And that's what they say. Then he left the crowds, went into the house. His disciples came to him saying, Hey, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. They remembered that one. You know the details of it? Remember what it says? There's, there's good seed, and then there's weeds sewn in tells a story should we pull them both up no you can't pull them both up you got to wait till they rise up at the harvest time at harvest time we'll separate it out they said, what does that mean what 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 are the seeds and who are the harvesters and what happens to the different things, the different plants? What happens to the wheat? What happens to the weeds? And Jesus explains it to them. What he says, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. That's him. That's Jesus. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. When it says the Son of Man plants individuals to speak on his behalf, they are sons of the kingdom. Those who proclaim what Jesus came to say. Then it goes on, the field is the world, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out. I want you to listen to what angels' responsibility is. I want you to be clear about this. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin, and all lawbreakers. Now, here's what angels are supposed to do. They gather out of the kingdom all the things that are under their jurisdiction, all who, it says, causes of sin, and all lawbreakers, individuals who are under the jurisdiction of law. So what their responsibility is, 
is to take out of the kingdom all under their charge, and then what do you have left? Do they have anything to do with anyone that's left? Their job's over. They can only lay hands on those who are under their authority. So what happens to the rest? What happens to those who don't get taken by an angel somewhere? What happens to believers in Christ? So it says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. What about the judgment? See, it says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here's a picture. When a Roman army was victorious, they would have a celebration. What would happen? The commanding general would ride a jewel-encrusted chariot and he would have a place of honor as the chariot marches down the center of the street and led in triumphal procession would be those powers, rulers, enemies, not enemies, rulers, those whom he has vanquished and over whom he reigns. And those individuals then would be led in triumphal procession. Do you get the picture? The commanding, conquering general and those who had been subjected to him are marching along behind him. Jesus is in the chariot and the image here. Rulers and authorities traveling along behind. What is it saying? Angels have been subjected to the Son of God. They only have responsibility over those under the covenant which they have responsibility for. Fortunately, Jesus comes to bring a new covenant that supplants the old. And those included in this new covenant are not under the jurisdiction of the angels that shuffle along behind. That's the image biblically. Um, this is what the book of Hebrews spends chapters talking about. It says in Hebrews 1.13, it's in your worshipful, I'll read it. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? You know what he's saying there? God never meant for angels to be in charge permanently. They were in charge for a period of time. From the time of the old covenant to the time of the cross, and a new covenant. God did not choose to give angels permanent authority. Thank God for that. There's no forgiveness there with them. Again, they're not bad. They're just rigid and non-merciful. They're not Jesus. They're not Jesus. Jesus is one of us. A spirit being in a mortal body. When he came to this earth as a spirit being, he entered a body just like you and I do, and just like you and I, 
He never left it. He was raised bodily from the grave, was he not? When he became a spirit being in a mortal body, did he ever leave that body? He's one of us. He understands what it's like to live in a mortal body. Angels don't. He does. And he is the conquering general in the jewel-encrusted chariot. He is the one who has been given the keys to the kingdom. There can be no better news for us than that. That's great news. That's great news. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels are going to serve those who will inherit salvation. Anybody going to inherit salvation here? Through faith in Christ, he is your commander, and that is true. You say, how do we know, Mike? Yeah, that's what Paul goes on to talk about. But let's see what it says, though. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a, strange, such a great salvation? In putting everything under in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. So it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste, taste death for everyone. Angels given authority over mankind. Jesus became an immortal spirit in a mortal body. He was raised in a mortal spirit in an immortal body, crowned with glory and honor, all authority over angels, and not only what happened to him, but what it says, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, if we are included in Christ, in his death and resurrection, if that's so, that means we exist above the authority of angels and we're not subject to them. You know what it means? With respect to the Ten Commandments, are they still... Rules by which we need to live? Hmm? Are we under their jurisdiction? You know, we have, we talked about it before, diplomatic immunity. We are not under the jurisdiction of old covenant law. We are not. So we do well to adhere to what they say, but violation will not cause us to come under the authority of angels. We are no longer under that. So we can and should and do love, tell the truth, but not because doing so will cause us to live and not doing so will cause us to die. That's not the deal anymore. We're under a new covenant. Um, it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities. Um, you know what movie I like? Knight's Tale. You seen that one? Prince William, remember that one? And he comes to the place where he's 
um, he comes out of favor with the um, bad guy. And Prince Edward is the the heir to the throne. He's dressed like everyone else is dressed like, and they're peppering Prince William with all these things. And he comes forward and he strips off these garments that showed him. He was kind of incognito. And everybody, oh. And he strides forward and he releases him. And he makes a declaration. This individual is not guilty. And my word is beyond contestation. And he goes free. No one would dare, dare contradict the word of Prince Edward. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. He divested himself of, he's singular in his authority. Okay, what does all this mean? What does all this mean? Well, this is the mechanism of forgiveness. If you think about, okay, what does the cross do, Mike? Old Covenant Infractions, that book, erased and nailed to the cross. Old Covenant Custodians, angels, removed by the king and forced to march in the wake of his accession to the throne. God did these things before he raised us with Christ. All this has to be done first. In raising us with Christ, in Jesus rising from the dead, what this signifies for us is that it worked. Um, the resurrection is the visible proof that death isn't final. The causes of our death have been rendered powerless. Old covenant infractions have been erased and nailed. Old covenant custodians no longer have authority. How do we know? Because he rose, and that's what the resurrection tells us. Jesus is in charge. Life has overcome death. By the way, this didn't happen when death was waiting for us. It happened when spiritually death has already claimed us. There is one root to life. To be included in his resurrection. That's it. The good news is, we already know that it works. If it didn't work, Jesus wouldn't have raised you. say, Mike, how can I know if I place my faith in Christ that what you're saying will happen, that I won't get to the other side and find an angel moving towards me with a book and the page is full? How do I know, Mike, that that will not happen? On Easter morning, the cross was empty. That tells you Pages have been erased. The leadership has switched over. It's a fact. Here's the question. Do you believe it? Hmm. There's two images of the cross. 
a grisly human execution that promotes fear, a glorious divine resurrection that promotes faith. We're going to continue through this passage and see how believing changes the balance of our time in this world. Suffice it to say, the cross has become a symbol of salvation. Okay. So we come to the cross this morning. What are you seeking from him? What are you looking for as you find yourself at the cross this morning? Are you a guilty person looking for a pardon? You've come to the wrong place. An unworthy person looking to be worthy? You've come to the wrong place. A person looking for another chance to be more obedient? You've come to the wrong place. This is a place for dead people, not for people who want to be more worthy or more obedient. That's what this, that's what this thing solves. Okay, so, what are you looking for? What are you seeking from him? A reminder? The harsh angels are no longer your judges. You've come to the right place. Another reminder of when God took you out from under old covenant and placed you under the new, you've come to the right place. Are you looking for a reminder that the infractions that have been erased and are still hanging there are unable to condemn you any longer? Is that what you're looking for? You've come to the right place. Are you like me? Looking for another chance? To touch the moment when God raised you to life with his son. Another chance to touch that. You've come to the right place. Sing a final song. Father, thank you for the cross and what it means. It's proof to us that through union with Christ, we have been raised out of being dead in trespasses and sins into being alive with Him. It's true and to the degree that we rely on the cross in order to accomplish that we become more like Christ. Would you help us? Again, it's Fridays we think about this and next Sundays we think about it and continue to move through this passage. Help us to put roots down into the event of the cross so that we can be like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.